Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the very first uh, special guest BRS TV that has been filled live in front of a, a studio audience. So, uh, Let's do it right. Yeah, welcome. I have never done it, uh, but we will make our way through. Uh, so we're going to learn a whole lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of this is tied to the 52 uh, SE series that we're doing. Uh, a lot of it for me, as I know all of you expect me to know everything, but I don't. Uh, I've been doing it for 20 years, I have access to a lot of people, but I'm trying to bring in other people and their experiences in, into it so you can learn from everyone and figure out you know, collectively what's right for you. Uh, that's what we're doing here today. Uh, the first thing we're going to do, we've got four topics actually, so uh, surprise, surprise, there'll be another topic right after this one if you want to join us. Uh, the first one is called Doing It Dirty. So uh, if you want to do this without spending a fortune, uh, and, and implementally you're probably going to still spend a fortune, but uh, without putting all of this gear on your tank and being super, super dependent on every last little piece of gear saving your tank, and putting hard work into it instead of uh, just uh, elbow grease, uh, or, or instead of technology, you're going to find that uh, we are a total polar opposite to this conversation Completely. if you watch any of our stuff. But uh, the hybrid of that information is in between, you know, because we're really talking about different needs. I have different needs at uh, Beers TV or even at my house than you have at your facility and for Correct. some of your customers. We're also going to talk about unleashing color. So that will be the second episode. If you guys want to stick around for after this one, probably about an hour from now, you can join us for unleashing color. Uh, tomorrow, uh, come back at 1230 and we'll have 52 questions in 52 minutes. Oh, boy. I'm a long-winded person, so I don't know if that's even possible. Uh, but uh, we'll have 52 questions. Basically, what we'll do is take you guys' questions here. I've also pulled all the questions out of all of the 52 SE episodes, uh, and we'll answer those because there's tons of really good questions in there that we can answer directly, and they're filling in some of the holes from the information that, that's in there. Uh, and then surprise, surprise, uh, we had a late entry tomorrow. We'll also do clams with Josh from Clam Mania. Is anybody here ever? Oh, John, I'm sorry. Uh, has anybody here ever considered having a clam? All right. Does anybody here know how to take care of a clam? That's, wow. I got one this. <laughs> oh, there, wow. There's one really strong one back there. Uh, all right. So uh, for me, I'm in the same thing. Uh, I've had some clams in the past, various degrees of success. Uh, this is not my area of expertise. Tomorrow, uh, we will uh, educate me uh, with uh, live in front of all of you guys. John will share everything. Are you going to come? Yeah, for sure. All right. I, You'll be there, too. That's definitely one place that I could learn a thing or two. All right. All right. So Josh here, uh, one of, uh, I call him uh, uh, my mentor here, but also we're peers in these things. So uh, we learn all together. So today, doing it dirty. All of your gadgets are just sales. I can't love this one. Okay. Number one. You're going to learn about here. Whoever, who here has a roller mat? All right, that's probably like a third of the crowd. Roller mats. The majority of our customers suffer from a tank that's stripped down too far already. Explain why you don't need a roller mat. Well, I don't know how many times I've set a tank up in the past, but every single time I do, I hate filter socks unless it's like the mesh ones where you just kind of rinse them out, right? Um, filter floss, which doesn't do nearly as good of a job as either of those, okay? And when you just throw it away, it kind of gives you that impression that maybe it's not as useful as you thought it was. Um, 
I keep tanks at the shop that have zero filtration whatsoever. And I don't think that there's any tank that suffers from, from that particulate filtration that a roller mat has. As a matter of fact, you know, you're kind of, you're always on that, the verge of wondering, are you feeding enough? And, and is the tank too clean? Is it too dirty? And in most cases it is too clean. That's the opposite of like what everybody's been told before. Like who here told you like uh, your tank is polluted and dirty uh, and you need to feed as little as humanly possible. Like, I mean, that's certainly the message that I learned uh, 20 years ago. Right? Yeah. And now you're saying that uh, you just don't have any pollution or any filtration at all. Well, I think, I think it's important for me to admit that, you know, I don't know the answer to everything, but I've played around with a lot of stuff, you know, and, it's kind of cool. I've got a unique experience with Worldwide that I can try, you know? So, you know, we've tried it this way, we've tried it that way, and it almost seems like the more you strip things down and try to pinpoint where your problems are, the more you're just chasing that dragon. Whereas if you just leave things alone and let it be what it is, chances are it's gonna find its equilibrium. It's gonna, it's gonna give you an answer where you didn't have one before. All right, so uh, all of you have ever watched anything on Beers TV, you've heard me talk about roller mats pretty positively in the past, right? And this is where this comes from. Uh, I'm just gonna be straight up and honest with you guys. The way that I changed all of my filter socks is because they were so clogged that they were pouring over the edge, making a bunch of noise. I, I, I don't change these things. Like, I am not crawling underneath there every three days, pulling that thing out, get my thumbs full of uh, uh, the bristle worms, <laughs> and I'm not throwing that in my laundry, you know? I, I did do that for a while. But like, I mean, there's bristle worms like in my laundry now, man. Like, uh, <laughs> this just isn't for me. Yeah. Okay. Now, roller mats came along. I ran into this thing at Interzoo like a million years ago. And I'm like, where have you been all my life? You mean you're saying this thing just rolls it out as it you know, gets all of, collects all the turds and waste and everything, and it just exports, and I don't have to do it? Well, of course. You know? So if you're gonna pick one of those things, you know, you're gonna say, hey, I'm going to actually remove all of that stuff. Well, uh, that seems like a way, way, way better way to do it. In all actuality, I'm finding the same thing that you're talking about, which is in most of these tanks, I'd actually prefer to not do that. Well, look, you're the first person every time when we talk about fish, you're like, feed, feed, feed these antheas, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. What are they doing all day long? It's, it's this, it's that interaction in the water. It's that upper water column, uh, pelagic fish mentality, right? And you take it out, it's not there. Yeah. So if you if you go diving, this is something that uh, like anybody who dives has, has seen and will tell you about, which we don't see in our own tanks. But if you go dive at certain periods of time, man, the reef is just filled with, you know, little micro crustaceans, with mm -hmm. bacterial blooms, with all kinds of different things that the corals are eating. Right. This is the same stuff when you when I saw, saw you for the first time and you're like, yeah, man, we feed these core, these tanks on the hour every single hour. Our goal here is not only a stream of food, but also a stream of broken down waste. You know, yeah. these are the things that feed the corals. Now, I think of all the time we have these conversations about nutrients, nitrate and phosphate. 
what you're talking about is inorganic uh, uh, nutrients. You know, these are things that are like the final chain of broken down. These things do not exist on most reefs. You know, most reefs have almost no nitrate and phosphate, and those that do generally have a ton of algae as well. You, know, you talk about like, yeah, these things grow in dirty tanks or dirty lagoons. It's totally true. Some of these things grow real well in dirty lagoons, but those dirty, dirty lagoons also grow a lot of algae. Like, uh, is that our desire? I, I don't think so. But what they do have is tons of organic nutrients. So, you know, organics that are broken down particulates and amino acids and stuff that contain nitrogen and phosphorus that they're pulling out of the water. But what does the filter sock do? What does the uh, roller mat do? It strips this thing out of the water. Now, your instinct here is to go back and forth though. It's like roller mat, best thing known to man. Roller mat, the worst thing that you've ever seen. You know, like this is the worst problem. Okay, you'll see in like the LPS tank, we put the roller mat in there, knowing this conversation. There's two reasons for it. One, the Red Sea tank has a little place for it. It's super easy to do. Right? Because uh, I can. Yeah, it's, it's built to put there. But also, this tank is a journey, right? Meaning, like, there aren't a lot of corals in here in the beginning. Mm. Like, most of you are not going out and buying $10,000 in corals week one and dumping it in there. It's something really just going to add a few at a time, you know, and, like, you know, nurture the whole envi uh, uh, like, uh, environment as we just keep adding these things in. Well, in the beginning, man, I'm gonna have tons of light. I'll probably have a bunch of fish. I'll probably have a bunch of waste. And what I don't wanna do is grow tons of algae and other garbage in there. And so in that case, in the early year of this tank, I'll probably value pulling out some of that excess food and poo that the corals will eat a year from now, but the corals aren't in there right now. Well, I think we'll get to that a little bit down the road here in this discussion because, you know, so I look at this, this, this topic is for me, we're always trying to come up with something new, something creative, something revolutionary. And I mean, the idea is novel, right? And it's probably practical in certain scenarios, but when you're excited about building a reef tank and you're like, well, what am I gonna get? And you talk to a guy and he's like, I got one, my tank is successful. Okay, I'm jumping the bandwagon, right? But the reality is maybe that application is a little bit more finite. Maybe, maybe you're trying to find a reason to get that crap out of the water and it's not polished and, and you have too much, not even breaking down waste, just sludge, mm -hmm. you know, and that happens. So that's the message here is like the right tool, right job, uh, used the right way. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, use a filter sock, use a roller mat, do or don't. Decide how much of this uh, particulate organics do I want in the tank and what is it fueling at any particular time? Because you'll notice in that video, what we actually say is, in 12 months, I'm probably gonna take this thing out. Now, it's, uh, our tanks don't have like an infinite budget. You know, you have to decide where I'm going to invest. Uh, on Beerus TV, I just want the thing to look good for all of you. So in that case, yeah, spending the 200 bucks on a roller mat that I'm probably gonna take off inside of 12 months, totally makes sense. For somebody else, you could use the filter socks and say, no, I hate doing this, but I'll change out those filter socks every three weeks for the next year, you know, or every three days rather. Uh, for the next year, I'll commit to that. But ultimately what it's really about is, you know, we were having this conversation earlier about nitrate and phosphate. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this is about breaking down into that, which eventually feeds algae, you know, and other pests. So the question is, 
how do I find the right level of nitrate and phosphate? It's a conversation for probably a different time, but like what it really is about is perpetually rising is the wrong answer. So if it just keeps getting high, nitrate phosphate just keeps getting higher and higher and higher every single month, well, you need more filtration. The, then the particulate filter, like the, uh, any one of those things, the felt pad, mm -hmm. the uh, filter sock, or the mesh, yep. all make sense. And then, especially if you're not around the tank a lot, you know, like, there's different people at different amounts of time. You know, people kind of like, like to shame each other one way or another, like, hey, you don't spend enough time with your tank, uh, you know, I don't That's know how you have enough time, you know, whatever. You know, like, who are you to tell me how much time I have in my life, you know? Like, if there's a, a, a piece of uh, mechanics out there that will roll this thing out of it for me and I don't have to crawl under there every day, which means it will actually done, and I did it with a goal and it's achieving my goal, mission accomplished, you know? So it's not about the automation because part of that like whole equation is accepting who you are. Oh, like, I couldn't agree more. Do I have three kids? Do I have a job that takes 60 hours a week? Like, well, I, it doesn't matter right or wrong. I don't have the time to do Where it. Where are you as a hobbyist too? Because I don't, I mean, a roller mat specifically is not a, it's not a very beginner oriented piece of equipment. You got to know when you're going to use it. You got to know why you're using it. You got to know how to use it. Okay, right. quick question in terms of how to use yeah. it. Who here thinks that you should plummet off of your overflow if you were going to have one? All right, well, I see a few handfuls. I probably people haven't used it. That's the way that everybody would do it. You think that it's the most efficient. You know, have everything through the overflow go through it, and then it will all be stripped out. But what if I just put a pump on it and put it in the sump? Now, inherently, this isn't uh, as efficient. But that might be the desire. Mm -hmm. You know, I might actually want to put this in the sump, and then if nutrient levels are falling, you know, or continually rising, I can just crank up the amount of water that's being pumped through it. It's just a filter in the sump. And to be frank, I think in a lot of ways, it's probably more effective than the protein skimmer. If I just had a, a, like a, a, a roller mat with an adjustable pump on there, easier to decide how much of the waste I'm going to pull in or out and it's not now all going down the overflow, I'm doing it more intelligently to a goal. So, like, I mean, you guys decide I, when you use that I don't know if match. I agree. No, okay, don't, why? Why? Because I don't see any application in which I could coach somebody into success without one. Coach somebody into success without yeah. one. Yeah, so I guess my point, you could get a glass box with a hang-on overflow and just a simple power head and grow as beautiful coral as the, the best out there without a rolling mat. And, and through the right processes, you could get there and never even think about using a roller mat. Let me take a, a, a stab at a, at a world where I'm gonna, right? Uh -huh. All right, I want to set up a tank that has 100 chromis and I'm gonna feed them every hour. Mm -hmm. Okay, can I set up filtration that will accommodate the fact of the amount, sheer amount of food that's gonna go in here? Or do I need to use something like this to remove it before it breaks down? I see filter floss working just as good oh, with, filter a big, floss. With, a, with a big protein skimmer. And manual removal, changing it out. Sure, yeah. you still gotta change the roll. <laughs> do we have to change the roll? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting point because in the clownfish harem tank, uh, we're setting up, I put one of these things in there 
and it's one of those ones that slides like into your, uh, like a, I think it's clear. Yeah. Okay. I fully expect this to be a giant pain in the butt. Uh, I've never used one, but I feel like uh, I should use it and then share with you guys how it works. But because that filter roller is so small, I fully expect to just like burn through one of these things like every week. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you know, uh, we'll find out with you guys. Does anybody have a used a clear that could tell us that? No, all right, we're wow. not super popular. Uh, all right, next one. All right, doing it dirty, gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, controllable skimmers. skimmers. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like your new DC world of skimmers. Uh, while they may be quiet, some folks have a hard time dialing them in already, and I'm not sure how much of a necessity skimmers really are to begin with. At one point, it would have been blasphemy to say that you couldn't run a skimmer with, or a, a reef tank without a skimmer. Like somehow this was a magical tool that if you didn't have this, it wouldn't be successful. Untrue. Completely untrue. Uh, I, do most of your tanks even have these things? We have a skimmer on almost every tank, and they probably run 30% of the time. So you, do you manually turn them on and off, or like timer? We do. So, so usually it's going to be determining by what we're feeding, how often, or how much we're feeding of a certain type of food, the type of coral that's in it, how many fish are in there, right? Because everything changes for us. It's not like your display tank that has a fixed amount of fish, a fixed amount of corals, there's no actual process happening in there, right? Besides your just leave it alone and let it do its thing. So a skimmer like that in, in a controlled environment like a display tank, I feel like it's a lot more consistent. You could say, well, I'm not getting the colors that I'm looking for. Maybe I'll turn the skimmer off today. Or maybe I'm using aminos and I'm doing an off cycle of the amino usage. Um, but yeah, in our world, really skimmers is not necessary. Okay, so I can tell you, uh, we did the E170. Uh, that was like the most constant, like water to coral density, mm. by far the highest concentration that we've ever had. Uh, no filter sock, no fleece, no skimmer, no nothing, man. It was just auto water changes, you know, and didn't need to be auto. You could just do it by hand too, the same thing, as long as you're consistent. And the more corals, the, le the yeah. less the need for a skimmer too. Yeah, but this, is, this tank was awesome. You know, I uh, had no problem and it had none of this filtration on it at all. Now, to your point though about controllable skimmers, so we've, we've, we're moving away from those AC skimmers to DC skimmers, right? Okay, one, they are quiet, which are. makes it like super desirable because nobody wants to hear that to begin with. But uh, this is the thing that I've found. You know, over the 20 years, it was just more air, more better, more air, more better. And we weren't like designing these things or evaluating them based on performance. You know, people were just telling each other that this one's better because it produces more liters per hour of air, mm -hmm. right? Okay, turned out to not be true at all. And what I found was all the ones out there that had the most air looked like this, a boiling pot of air that produced nothing. Yep. It was just thick milk, you know, from top to bottom of air being whisked together, no skimmate. Yep. And, you know, um, what kind of led us to believe that, that maybe the skimmer was less useful than, than we originally thought was at the old farm, we had a 1,200-gallon system, right, duplicated four times over. We used to use the XP8000 from Reef Octopus. Mm -hmm. So that's the big conical-shaped one, right? And... We would get this much skimmate in a given week. 
And while we thought they were killer skimmers, which they are, you know, maybe it was more applicable for twice the size of a system. So then we moved into this, this facility that we're, we're in now, and they're the same 1,200 gallon systems, but we're, we're now using the 5,000 rather than the 8,000. Mm -hmm. And we still only run them once every three weeks. Does the 5,000 work better or worse than the bigger one? It pulls more skim eight. And I would assume that it's more appropriately sized for the aquarium. So this is what I found is that when I took the DC skimmer and I turned the air down, all of a sudden it worked. Yeah. You know, uh, and it matched some of the experience I had with like what I would have called crappier skimmers, you know, from the old old days. Mm -hmm. Where you just plugged them in and all of a sudden it was pulling stuff out, you know, and then like the better and more expensive I got, the less it worked. You know, uh, and it was kind of mind boggling to me and I just didn't get it. I felt like, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. You know, like how am I, am I setting this up? Like it's this thing, everybody tells me I need one and everybody says like, you know, you just got to tune it, you know, the right level or something uh, and water level. And then you just feel kind of like a failure. Like, why does this thing not work for me? You know, and it turns out if I just lowered the air, which, you know, you would think is counterintuitive, all of a sudden it started working. Well, the Nio skimmer, yeah. they have that little air adjustment on the top. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty incredible, right? AC pump, still kind of quiet, and it's got an air adjustment. And to your point, you turn it down, it actually produces better. Yeah. And so this is what I like the analogy that uh, some of you have probably already seen before, but like where I think of everybody here has blown a bubble, you know, out of a, like a wand before, you know, and if you just pull it out and you blow it out, it's got some kind of mix of organics and uh, velocity of air being blown through it, and I can just walk up to and blow and blow a bunch of bubbles. All right, so that is like one concentration of organics to air. Another one would be like, what happens if I dilute that thing now, that bottle of bubbles down to like one fourth, and reduce all of the organics? Now I could still blow a bubble, but man, I'd have to blow through it so slow to make sure it doesn't pop, you know? And what we're doing with these high-powered skimmers is essentially the neck of the skimmers where all the air is going out. They're just blowing super duper hard uh, throughout this and putting more and more air through there. And all the bubbles are just popping at the top. You can just watch it happen. And they're not actually staying there long enough to form a head. Some of those really old skimmers are this tall, right? And they just had a little tiny wooden air stone in the bottom of them. Mm. And they worked amazing. They worked amazing. But it was all that slow contact time to the top. So this is the thing though, is like you talked about a, a tank or a, a, like a tank being fairly stable. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, a display tank is only gonna have so many fish, you bought all your fish in it, it's gonna stay the same. Not true. Like, I want this skimmer to work the day I bought it, and I want it to work the same way that when the tank's full 18 months from now, right? When I bought it, there's only two fish in here. There's very little organics in here. I should crank the air way, 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 way down so those bubbles don't burst from the tiny little bit of food that's going in here today. Uh, but in my tanks anyway, because I'm overloading them as I'm getting better and better at different aspects of the reefing, I like the fish now. I've been getting a love affair of the fish where I used to be just into the coral. And now I have all these fish in here and I'm feeding more and more. I'm cranking up the air now to match the amount of organics that's going in it. And the same skimmer now travels the journey with me. I don't have to keep buying things over and over and over again. So for me, that's where, you know, the controllable skimmer, A, I want it to be quiet, but B, I, I want it to work day one when I got two fish, and I want it to work when I have 30 as well. Yeah, because back to what we were talking about here with the roller mats, there's an application for it. If you're feeding a ton and you've got a ton of fish, it really is a necessity. 
Okay, you're going to see a couple of tanks, though, uh, in the series, uh, 52SE, that like doesn't have a skimmer. And we'll handle these things in a different way. The right tool, right job, thinking about what your actual goals are. My tank. Your right tank. now. It's a 60-gallon tank, full of stonies. Good handful of fish for the size tank, and I feed a ton, but go. no skimmer. All right, next one here. All right, doing it dirty. High-powered lights. I'm a sucker too, uh, being this is your words. That's me. Uh, I'm a sucker too, but uh, so often I find myself coaching to turn the lights down further and use less of its features. Uh, blade grow, or grow being one of them, I can't mm -hmm. wait to hear. Uh, there are, there's Acropora and then there's everything else. Plus nobody wants to hear that they should buy another light and turn it down. Like, that is like one of the biggest problems actually for me is the whole industry produces these super high power lights because par wars and everything that is dictated to us is if you don't get the right amount of par out of it as the only determining factor of whether or not this thing is any good, well, then it isn't as good as the light next to it. But what if this thing actually grew coral better but had a more usable par? Isn't that really the goal? So go mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, so this is probably my favorite topic to talk about because I, I when I started with Worldwide Corals, um, there used to be a 300 gallon tank that was in our showroom. It was an old uh, Deep Dimension 300. And the tank had four 80 watt blue T5s, a 300 gallon Deep Dimension. And then it had maybe like six or seven of the, the True Lumen LEDs, you know, the really long skinny ones with a whole bunch of little tiny diodes. And it had some of the nicest corals I've ever seen in my entire life. And there was like no light on the tank. I think at one point we might have tested um, PAR and I don't even know if the PAR meters then were awesome. Um, but I think we were getting like 60 or 80 PAR in the middle of the rock structures, but it was chalice. Chalice and acans and leptos and bird's nest. I mean, there was a bunch of cool stuff in there. Yeah, look, one of the things like, uh, who here carries like, or has predominantly LPS corals in their tank? Yeah, that's half the crowd. Don't you wish there was a light that was actually designed around that and just intentionally had half the light power because you're not going to use it anyway? And hopefully the right price as well. Uh, you know, the price reflects the last, because they're all designed for like, a, uh, like the good ones, the ones that are mm -hmm. like really, you know, the thought leading ones are all designed for SPS tanks, but that's not only half the people are doing that. Yeah. And, and most, I mean, I don't want to say most, but a lot of our customers that, that I deal with specifically, their tanks are no more than 24 inches tall, which I mean, we put the same light on our 1500 gallon tank, which is four feet deep, you know? You know, I ask this question all the time. Like I, people are like, what do you prioritize when you're buying a light? And number one is always mounting height for whatever reason, like, or not mounting height, mounting, ease of mounting. You know, like, I want to know that I can just set it on the tank. I don't want to drill holes in my ceiling. I don't want to, like, all, if it doesn't have a leg bracket, I don't want it. That's basically the number one thing. But after that, like, it's so often phone app. It is. You know, like, how, like, can it do thunderstorms or something? You know? But that's why I put here, I'm a sucker too. <laughs> you know, I love all the bells and whistles. I love the fact that it'll do everything I want it to do. But is it really necessary? Uh, you know, for, for me, no. I, I, you guys have probably all heard this before, but like, you know, I have a love affair of the little Kessel knob. You know, just like walk up to it and turn it and it's done. Like, mm, looks about there, good, done. Uh, I don't need all these sliders and stuff. And like, 
And like, I don't think there's anybody in this room that really even knows what bio biologically what those sliders are doing, you know? And they are doing something. They are fueling different uh, peaks of photosynthesis, and the coral is definitely compensating for something very unnatural to it. But that's so minute. Like, let's just grow corals first. Like, start there. Yeah. You know, blue and white, it's plenty enough. Just turn it on. <clears throat> you know, my only complaint now about the Kessel bed is they took that thing and made it like, you know, super easy. But now if you want to unlock the UV and the green and the red, you have to then get the app and the dongle and the little thing on the box. It's like you, you destroyed the thing that was so great. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you just blend it together like you did the other ones? You know? So that should be the standard in my mind. You know? So I put here in parentheses, blade grow. And the reason why I said that is because I, I have a little bit of seat time with them now. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm very, very thoroughly impressed with them. The grow? Yeah because it's it's pretty much two colors of light mm -hmm. right kind of like the old ai soul mm -hmm. um and because of the fact that it's strip lighting and it has this like really matte feel to it like a t5 you put a couple of them on whatever size tank obviously you got to dial that in but it's it's very uniform in color it's even light spread and i don't feel like it's hard for me to tell somebody to get another Right. But now if it's a, a Radeon XR30 or something like that, and it's maybe, yeah, exactly. You're talking a thousand dollars for a light. And when you tell somebody, oh yeah, just turn the lights down to 40%, but you need another one. Mm -hmm. Now I'm spending a thousand dollars when the light's strong enough to do everything on its own. So I have these like conundrums for me. So like often when you guys see what I'm installing, I have every tool known to man. You know, I have the spectrometer there. I have the PAR meters. I have like a whole team of people helping me do this. We're installing it and I have a whole warehouse full of stuff that I can just open up and if I don't like it, you know, sign it and put an open box, you know? Uh, it's just like, it doesn't have the same consequences. So we can just keep opening stuff until we get this perfect solution. And so for me, you'll see in this, uh, in this series is the perfect solution for me is this really elegant, thin uh, blades the grow and the glow together, and then I really care about shimmer. Like, this is the thing that brings a tank to life for me. And I put that in there, but here's the catch to it. Like, I'm blending three different light sources together using a $3,000 tool that not a single person in this room has, you know? Okay, so if you were gonna ask me, like, what I would actually do, you know, like, if, you, if, like, if my grandma came to me and said, Ryan, help me set up a tank, you know, and I was gonna give her the best possible counsel that I would do. It would be, use some T5 lamps and some Kessels and it will look great in and or out. With the one exception also, you know, that's the cheapest option. You know, the cheapest option that I would personally use. And it's analog. Right? Yeah, it's just like, you can't mess this up, right? But also, when we went to the four Radions, or uh, four Radions on the XXL uh, 750, mm -hmm. this is the best SPS tank we've ever produced you know, using these four modules, you know, turned sideways and spaced, you know, roughly a foot apart. The super wide angle light, you know, leveraging the glass and everything. To be frank, man, I think I would have liked to use even one more. Yeah. Right? So this is super expensive though. Man, I mean, like you've got, you know, $4,000 in light alone on top of this tank and I haven't even bought mounting kit for it. It feels crazy impractical. Okay, but here's the cool part of it is there's known spectrums. You know, you can use their AB plus. You can use something that uh, other people have emulated on, on, a, on a forum. And then once you get all the little things right, you know, the sliders match to somebody, what somebody has shared with you works. Now intensity is just this one knob and it scales it all mm -hmm. up and down together across all of them. 
this doesn't require a $3,000 tool to use. It still requires a PAR meter, but like uh, most people that are going to spend that kind of money in a light are going to at minimum buy the thing and then return it with the open box charge, right? You know, like if you're gonna spend $3,000, $4,000 in lights and you don't spend the 100 bucks to get it right, there was a miss. Yeah, that, that, you bought technology for fun, not because you were trying to apply it correctly. Uh, but like there's all these pieces to this that, you know, when you watch these things, you're looking to us sometimes for, you know, the, the thought leading ways and the ways that I would actually do it myself. But you'll see hidden in there, like also there's bits about, hey, you know what, there's also another way. It's called a, like a bank of T5s. You could probably do almost the same thing, you know, and listen. Because it isn't the, you know, the doing it dirty. All the gadgets are just sales to some degree. You know, you're like just ways to burn through cash. You have to decide like, what is your tank's budget? Now I used to talk about it as like your budget, but like, that's not really it. It's like, I've allocated a certain amount of money. This tank has its own budget, you know, in my life. It's the thing I brought joy to me. I decided somewhere and I will probably break it constantly. But like, it is still has its own kind of entity. I'm, I'm not gonna just dump endless amounts of money. I have to decide where to put it. Yeah, I think the, the key to go back to is practicality for me. You know, if it's not practical and it doesn't suit the top three pieces of criteria that I pick for myself, then it's not for me. Okay, so you're setting up a 120-gallon SPS tank today. What mm -hmm. are you putting on it? I do like the blades. I do like the radions. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys know now that we've been playing around with those Delua lights, which we really like. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is you have to understand it, you know, so, so if you can get somebody at a local fish store, me personally, I'm kind of stuck with the Radeon because I'm, I'm so long into it now where I feel like that's my go-to, but with the blade and with the, the Delua lights, I'm kind of, I'm torn because it's, it's easier. It really is easier. And the point of practicality, if I can teach each and every person that's having a hard time doing it easier, that's the answer for me. Isn't that the goal? Like when you're asking us, you know, your counsel, it's not like which one is the best or which one's gonna have the most power. It's like, what's gonna help me achieve my goal here, which is an awesome display tank in my house. And it's gonna fit inside of my skill set, you know, like, and my willingness to put in it. Because if I told you the most complicated thing known to man, uh, and you weren't going to achieve it, but theoretically it could be the best. Is it, is it garbage? Because I feel like it is, mm. you know? But what if it was like not as cool, but you plugged it in the wall and you just did what you wanted it to? That's you know? the answer. Yeah, I mean, you can see like heads nodding kind of in different directions, you know? Because like I, I am a gear junkie. I love learning about the gear. It's half of the fun for me. It's half of learning the technology that goes into sustaining an environment and how changes to that affects the animals and how we can do it perpetually better because that's how we will get better. You know, this is how we will move things along and we'll get rid of some of the ways that don't work and increase the sum of the ones that don't and then or do work and then also you know, hopefully make them cheaper as well. I was just gonna say budget <laughs> matters. Well, but as more of you adopt the, you know, the new way, whatever the new way might be for any one of these things, there's more money that goes into that thing, which eventually makes it cheaper, which eventually makes uh, some replicas of that thing by people who didn't have to put all the money into R&D, which makes it cheaper. 
You know, so kind of adopting what works is actually the fastest way to ultimately make the hobby cheaper for everybody. Uh, next thing. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, doing it dirty. Four to ten different power head settings. Trust me, I feel like the irregularities make for the best scenario, but damn, it just confuses everyone. Any, who here uses the like fancy settings on their you know power heads to like change it by the hour? Eight. Uh, okay. Now, now, have you ever changed it and gotten the same result? You know, it is the guy. You want to buy it because it has all of these features. You know, it has your you know nutrient export mode, and it has the gyre mode, and it has like all these different things on it. And you're like, I want those things. I'm not sure I'm going to use them or not, but I definitely want those things. You know, but will it make me a better reefer? Will it grow the coral better? Yeah, I'm. I'm. You've heard me say a million times over that flow is more important to me than anything else because it serves so many different purposes. But, right. but you can also mess it up a million ways too. Okay, I'm going to tell you the coolest controller that I've ever had. The one that I think has produced the best possible results for me. It's called a digital timer. Uh, I don't even know if it's digital, man. I think it was actually on a little wheel or something. Uh, and some of you have heard this before, but it was uh, those old MaxiJet mods, you know, and one of these things was on for 20 minutes. Spinning backwards. Other one was on for 20 minutes. Uh, and then they were both on for 20 minutes, creating a one hour cycle, which created, you know, a current going this way, a current going this way, and then turbulence, and then repeated throughout the day. It didn't need to change by the second. It doesn't need this like randomness. It just needs to vary in the way that these things are getting hit. And they do different things. You know, currents are flushing over the surface of the animal. Uh, turbulence is like getting everything suspended. They're serving different functions, but like I didn't really need to have a cool name on it to do that. Mm -mm. Yeah, we used to use a lot of those um you remember the old uh, Tunzi wave controller box? Mm -hmm. You could plug any power head into it and we had the, the Coralias. Mm -hmm. And they were doing this here and that there and this here and that there. Very similar and it worked. Okay, so as somebody who has to like mess with stuff constantly, you know, I'm plugging in and unplugging eight million things all the time. I hate the stupid apps. Like I just, I don't want to have to log in to make these changes. And so when I go up to the tunes that's on the tank and you got that little teeny controllable box and it's like more flow, less flow, what's the like alternating pulse flow and how for like, uh, like uh, how, what's the spacing in between it? Done, do, 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 that's for me. Uh, and then if you could plug in like another one that goes into it, it automatically does the opposite of that with a cord. And I don't really need it to be wireless because I got news for you. The thing that's plugged into is about six inches from it. I don't really care about the cord. You know, so the wireless technology is cool. I, I want wireless as bad as anybody, but do I need it for that function? Not really. Uh, but here's the problem. Would anybody buy anything that's still dependent on wires because it sure feels archaic? You know, it's like the T5s. Is it that it's not producing the same results with your coral? Nah, not really. But man, a fluorescent lamp sure feels archaic. Mm. Like I don't want to like brand new invest into that. You know, uh, that's really a hard leap to make. I mean, it feels like I'm, you know, going into like a buying a VCR. You know, <laughs> it's a tough, tough mode to make. Look, I did, the the point for me to make here on this topic is, I love the Vortec. It's still one of my favorite pumps out there. It probably is my favorite pump out there, but. 
the the amount of questions I get about how to program it, it just blows my mind. And so, we keep it very, very simple, you know, and we will have one that does the majority of the, the function in the tank, which is like a stirring action. And then one to break up that random, uh, I'm sorry, the, the constants of, of that stirring action, you know, so it's almost always like a, a green and a, a yellow program. I will have, uh, I'll admit now, I have do do different zones for the day because you give me the option. Mm -hmm. And I, I will tell you that I use logic for that. But I will not tell you that I for sure produce better results for that. Right. Right? There's a difference. You know, then of course, everything you touch or do, you will instinctively want to believe that it's better. Right? Uh, it doesn't take much to convince yourself of that. But in this case, the reason that I'm doing some of these things is on some of these tanks, I'm really hitting it with tons and tons of photosynthetic power, man. The photons are just plummeting these tanks, right? So there's so much photosynthetic energy in there. It's producing so much oxidants. It's the, like, the biology of this animal is just going so fast, the metabolic functions of it. And it needs to get rid of a lot of the waste. And so during the day, man, I'm just pounding it with flow to help it survive you know, the amount of light that I'm putting on it. But at night, I crank the flow down, right? I think that's important. Yeah, at night, I let the things rest. And I don't need that amount of flow anymore because I'm not hitting it with all those photons. And, and I'm not blowing all the sand around as much and all the other things. And somebody once asked me, is like, well, dude, you, uh, you know, the ocean, you know, doesn't stop at night. And like, these are like things that you think are true, but they're just not true, man. The, the ocean is actually absolutely less turbulent at mm -hmm. night because it's heat and weather that causes the waves, that causes the turbulent, and there's less heat and weather at night. There's also a reason why corals feed more at night. Water isn't pummeling, you know? Uh, it's bringing currents and stuff. It's, it's at night, the water in the ocean is more reliant upon currents, you know, bringing things around than it is the crashing waves because there's less weather and heat. Mm -hmm. So, oh, sounds really great. Uh, and it would be dependent on your specific tank, but like I really believe if I'm going to push flow to the edge during the day, I should probably not only provide that respite for the corals at night without the flow, but my poor fish too. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the poor fish need to find a home to sleep in. That doesn't mean turn the pumps off, man, but I can turn them down. Uh, so it's a great topic. You said that, that you like the Vortex. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the way the Vortex really come in is like everybody loves a little cordless thing, you know, or whatever, the motor on the outside, and that's cool. But for what it's me is, I like using pumps that I can put down farther, especially in like the bare bottoms. You know, bare bottoms still isn't my favorite thing to do, but if I'm gonna do it. Rookie. I uh, know, rookie. <laughs> I can't do it, man. Well, that's another conversation. Uh, but if I'm gonna do it, I put the, the Vortex across the bottom to keep all the stuff flushed off because it's the only pump I can put down there that doesn't have a cord, you know, draggling all the way down to the bottom, which is, you know, absolutely hideous, right? Back to the practicality thing, though. Yeah, it, it's also easy to clean, mm -hmm. you know? For me, though, if I had to pick one pump now that I like more than else, even despite some of its faults, it's the gyre. You know, the gyre for me, a allows like to, to be two pumps in one, and now the brand new one, kind of like four, I guess, you know? Uh, so one cord, and now I can like shoot water all over the place. And you'll see it in how we do with a bunch of our tanks, but we're, I'm putting one, one pump in the back, and it's putting water behind the aquascape, and then it's shooting it across the front too. I got one cord, one pump that's, you know, not super obtrusive. 
I will say you have to clean these things more than, than other ones, which is kind of annoying. But also, you know, this was a surprise to me. Like sometimes you, you know things, but you just don't know. And where do you think the high fastest rate of photosynthesis is happening in the tank? Mm, ask that differently. I don't know. It's the, the top. It's where all the light is. You know, like all the growth is happening at the top because that's where all the most photons are hitting. It's not the side, the part that you see, and we're used to putting pumps in the front of the tank that you know is going across the side. But we're at where all of uh, the biology is happening is at the top. You know, and you can see them; they grow towards it. They grow up. They look better yeah. from the top. Okay, yeah, they do grow look better, and there's ways to actually get them to grow towards the glass a little bit more than the top. But I now see the need for why laminar flow going over the top, where the most photons are hitting, makes total sense. And when I see it at an application, when I put those gyre pumps going across the top, shooting that laminar flow that doesn't like, you know, just pound the corals with a cone of water, but just gets it moving across the top, the corals just do better. Mm -hmm. In fact, you've seen this in some of the episodes where the flow, and like, I didn't know this until I went looking for it, but the flow grows towards, the coral grows towards the good flow. Mm -hmm. And like, I always kind of thought maybe it would go the other way. I mean, I didn't really put a lot of thought into it, but like, you know, it's, you know, the current's blowing it this way, so the coral would grow this way. No, it's that the polyp on the edge there, where the flow is the best, is where it's getting the most gas exchange, the most nutrients, the most elements. The flow is all driving all of that. And of course, it grows towards that because that's where the best biology is happening. And then we see it actually in a couple of our corals. You can see it even in, the, in some video that we show you, you can literally see this is where the vortex is. The coral is absolutely just best growing this way, isn't growing that way, and the poor coral on the other side of it is doing nothing. It's totally shocked or blocked from all the flows. That's so, all, all the more reason to think about the animal itself. It's, it's survivable. It knows what it, it needs to do. So as long as we're providing, like, as a whole, a good environment for the coral, they're going to live. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember when way back in 52, or, or the uh, WWC series, I asked you how many gallons an hour you, you need? Mm-hmm. So, has anybody here ever like judged their tank and bought power heads for their tank based on the amount of gallons per hour the pump says? How much tank turnover you need, whether it's 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever it is? So a lot of people will buy them that way. You know, I need a, a special goal of 20. Mm -hmm. Do you remember telling me this? Yeah, I do. And I remember not having the answer without doing the math. Well, you remember, I remember asking you, and you wouldn't tell me, you know? And they're like, there is no magic number, right? And I'm like, you don't understand, dude, we're doing a video. People want to know the number. Just give me a safe zone, you know? They're like, just like 20, 50, what is it? And you just looked at me like, I'm a fool. You know, well, like, then, you just don't get it yet. Well, know? then, we, I felt like the fool because we went back through and we did, like, the, the numbers on the return pumps, and they were like, four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you mean four? What's four? It is very low. So yeah. the part that I saw then and I absorbed afterward, it wasn't about it like a magic 20 times turnover of the power heads on there. What you had done is actually place the power heads where they needed to be. Because it isn't just 20 times or 1,000 gallons per hour in the tank. It's at the coral. And if it's 20 times right here, but there's a coral right here on the other side of it, it's only getting two, you haven't achieved the goal, and the coral's gonna show it, right? And you're gonna go home and look at your tanks now. 
and you're going to go see all the little teeny corals on the other side of the big corals and wonder why they're not growing. Now you know. It's because they're not serving the biology, getting the nutrients, getting rid of the oxidants, getting all of it to the coral. And then I learned this from you is like, dude, I mean, you look, there's like little spots all over the tank where you'd put like one power in. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. we identified a dead spot. Let's solve. So that's the cool thing I think about the gyres for me, especially those four heads, is I don't want to just keep putting more and more and more and more and more power heads in there and have 80,000 different little cords all over the place. If I can tune those little heads and aim it, and by the way, the little heads that go left and right, uh, those are cool, but they will slow down the flow like dramatically. Mm -hmm. Have you used them? No. Okay, so it's cool that you go up and down, but if you use the left or right, it works, but it'll slow the flow will go down pretty dramatically. So. But I, now I can aim it in four different places, solve the problems that you have uh, without putting more pumps in. The, the, the one thing that we always consider when we're building a flow pattern in a tank is pick the area that's the most open because we can get the most unanimous flow in the tank. Mm -hmm. And the, like you said, the corals are gonna form to it. So the whole idea is not just to allow them to off gas, but it's also to pick up that crap. Mm -hmm. Right? So the more motion you have in the open, the more you're going to get that suspended waste. The turbulence. Mm -hmm. Get it up. All right, next one, doing it dirty. Uh, oh, man, this is the hardest one to say out loud. Uh, uh, doing it dirty, gadgets are just sales. Negative space rock structures, not a gadget, but it's gimmicky. Oh. Uh, long term isn't practical. Mm -hmm. uh, you grow your corals, not your rocks. It's just cheating. Yep. I'm gonna shut my mouth for a minute. Go ahead. Have you ever seen one of these tanks like years down the road after the rock structure has been built? Some of them. Yep. Right. Do any of them hold their form? Depending on the coral shape and thought process put into it. And if it's a coral that's really growing and somebody that knows how to grow corals, how do they frag off of them? <laughs> I don't know. They don't. They don't. They come apart. That's the problem. So, so I'm going to speak from our behalf, right? Our tanks are, a, are very much a functional display. So they have to produce, they have to, they have to grow coral and I have to be able to get in, break stuff apart, move things, reorganize, restructure. You know, we just talked about flow when they get this big, what do you do when you've got a pocket over here that's getting no flow and you can't put a power head there? Well, it's time to redo that area. Now, all that time you spent to make that real fancy hoop and swoop, it's gone. So for me, it's tough because, uh, you know, I had somebody build this, you know, I don't know, it wasn't called an NSA at the time, but mm -hmm. you know, this open space aqua structure for my, my house, right? And like, it is by far the most common thing in the entire tank. People come to look at it, they'll say the stand is cool, they'll say the you know, fish and corals and stuff are cool. This tank has come a long ways, by the way, you'll see it pretty soon. Uh, but like, you'll see all the stuff that is really cool about it, but number one comment by far is the aquascape, right? I have to say something, and it's probably gonna strike a nerve. It already has. If, <laughs> if you're good at growing corals, you don't see the rock. It's true uh, to some degree. So I'm going to give an opposing viewpoint on it. Um, 
And one of it is, you know, just based on it's a hobby, right? And so for me, you know, I set out, I saw this thing, and then the first thing, you know, this, this rock structure that was built for me was based on Haitian rock, which doesn't exist. So, you know, for me, if I show you content and then tell you, like, yeah, it's a really cool thing I did, but uh, you don't get to do it. What use is that, you know? And so I sat in my driveway breaking apart Marco rock, you know, trying to see, you know, can I piece this stuff together and then create something that's accessible to everybody else? And lo and behold, I did. It was like, this is my vacation, by the way. Uh, uh, that's what I do. Uh, but, like, it was really, really fun for me. And then I found, like, this is something that was, like, almost zen. Like, I just really, really liked this creation process. And I think of myself as a creative person, but I have no artistic skill at all. You know, like, I can't paint. I can't, mm. you know, do anything. But man, this is one thing that I actually found, like my creativity came out of and I could produce something that I thought was really cool and I was proud of. And now you couldn't take this away from me. You know, I want this part of building this tank, which is I want it to look day one, good day one. When I plug it in and I turn it on, I want the thing to look awesome. You are impatient though. That is true. Well, you say that's impatient, but also I spent a week to produce this when most people just stack it up and fire a day. Fair. You know, so like I want it to look good and I want to be proud of it. But I think there's also aspects of it that are different too, because when you have that big open structure, that means that and there's different approaches to this. But if you think about it the right way when you're doing it, you'll achieve this. Is a I'm going to have space behind the rock work now which allows for flow behind it, which the stacking thing doesn't do. Uh, it's also gonna be an open structure, which means I can flow, flow from the front or from the back through it to the front, because there's open structure, which means I'm gonna get better flow to morse the corals than if I just create a wall and just place them on all there and just kind of let them grow. It's difficult to get flow back in these places. So there's also areas where I can build intentional like habitat for the animals. Like you'll see this in the, the predator tank. Like I like all of these tanks that we did, I probably spent I don't know, days, man, looking for footage, you know, of these animals in the ocean and saying, how do I recreate something like this? Because this is like you look for the, the, the lionfish and all it's really doing in a vast majority of these things is living in some overhang upside down. Waiting. Yeah, just waiting, right? So I could create something that does that and does it in a way that it's open and in a display where it's comfortable and happy, you know? Or I could create something that is just a stack of rocks and it's constantly searching for this, you know, home that doesn't exist. You don't feel like it's the same zone though? Like when you build those those negative space tanks, you don't you don't find that the entire tank is the same scenario? No, actually, I find that in many cases, I've intentionally built, like when we did the, uh, 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 this is not necessarily, an, uh, it's an intentional aquascape, but not necessarily an NSA, but when we built the uh, ledge for the uh, LPS tank, you can't really see it in the video because the video doesn't get like depth very well, especially when it's really illuminated really well and you've got rid of the shadows. But what we did is we took small pieces all over the place and made them jut out to create artificial uh, areas for the corals to layer out and intentional shade for corals that don't like light, 
you know? And so it doesn't, even though it kind of like looks like all the same, intentionally we've created it for the biology of this animal that I know full well that Blastomusa wants to be basically in the dark. You know, if you find these things, they are, you know, 50 feet down and there's very, very little light and they're living on the side of something, right? And then if you want your rainbow acans in high light, they're just gonna turn, you know, red. Mm -hmm. If you, it, like, what I was told uh, from, uh, 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 or not, uh, from Unique Corals, is he's, when he's diving, you can see a big, huge colony of the acans in the ocean, and then as you hit the side, they all turn rainbow where it's dark. And the exact same colony animal is red on the top where it gets the most light, right? And so intentionally, I can use that negative space that isn't just a wall, you know, and, you know, create areas that is designed around the animals I know are going in there. Is this like way beyond this? I mean, this is 10 year reef tank. You know, this is not your first rodeo. But if you're going to think about how do I want to do this for the animals, I think it's more so than thinking about NSA, because I think what we were doing with NSA was like, I want this negative space. But I think what you see when we're doing it with uh, all of the series within 52SE is think about who lives in this tank and how can I best provide for it, then you produce a totally different result. I kind of agree. You're Coming along of, for the ride? Yeah, I'm, I'm along with you. And so, I think those stringy rock structures are really good for stonies. They match the same texture, right? So when the coral grows, it kind of has that same texture. But when you grow a big candy cane and you, you've got a big skinny arch like this and you put a candy cane right here, it doesn't have the same flow to it. Or you put a, you put a single head torch in, right? And then it turns into this big monster colony. Now you've got a ball of mass on this stringy little arch, you know? I'm gonna give that's the artistic point that you were bringing up. I'm know? gonna give some support to what you were talking about <laughs> earlier though. Uh, I was going through uh, the tank of the months. Does anybody here ever go through like tank of months and like look at them and say, hey, what did they do that I would like to do? Yeah. One of them, uh, this gentleman produced a really, really cool aquascape using only dead coral. So he went like on eBay and found like big, like decorative coral, you know, and it was like tabling acros and stuff, you know. And so the thought process is, what does coral want to grow on more than anything else? Mm. You know, we could pick different rocks or whatever, and definitely some of the rocks grow coralline algae and they grow coral better than other ones. Like, like the coral wants to cover its surface better. But this coral, like, they had, it created this really wicked aquascape. The day one was just this tiers of tabling acros in there. Uh, and then a year later or two years later, the tank looks awesome, but you'd never know he did that. Yep. You'd never know because it's totally covered up. It's all gone. So all that money they invested in eBay and corals, like it was just part of the journey you know, because it was covered up and that will happen with that style of tank. Agreed. Yeah. All right, next one. Doing it dirty. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great topic. Uh, yes. This one is like, uh, okay, I'll get to it in a second. Uh, doing it dirty, all the gadgets, just sales. Boosters. Anything that will give me a boost will likely give me a headache. <laughs> Your words. <laughs> Literally. Uh, uh, nothing good happens fast. Example, example, Coraline Booster. If your tank is healthy, it will be there. pH boosters have the impacts, uh, have other impacts, and it's a Band-Aid. Just get the CO2 out. Yep. So 
When you say boosters, I hear like magic elixirs and special snake oil. Yeah, right? it's a very generalized statement. I mean, you know that there's a million bottles sitting on a shelf. I just feel like you have to know how they work to use them. So like the problem is, is there are like an overwhelming amount of what I would describe as uh, snake oils, you know, and like boosters that don't work. Like some of those Coraline boosters is literally an alkalinity additive. Mm -hmm. You know, like it literally, like it could just say, you know, baking soda on the outside of this thing. And it, it does not contain any Coraline algae or anything else. It just says basically, if you maintain your alkalinity, you'll coral, go Coraline algae, which I think everybody in this room already knew. You know, uh, so like I don't, I don't need that. And then like all of these things is just like, you don't really know. Now the problem for me is some of them do work. Yeah. And so a real good example for me is in my club early on, everybody said that amino acids were, you know, snake oil and specifically like the KZ ones were like special German snake oil. Uh, you know, and it's just like, it doesn't work, right? And I kind of bought into that because I don't know. I mean, I maintained a tank without it, you know, like, so it must be. And then I saw what you guys are doing. I go to your place and you're dumping all this, you know, uh, Brightwell's coral amino in all of your foods and everything. We come home, do an investigates on it, have some two tanks side by side in A and a B. And then we have another A and the B. And sure uh, uh, enough, man, all of the corals that are getting the coral amino, not only are growing way faster, uh, which is surprising, but the thing that surprised me the most is the coloration was like three times better. You know, like it's just like brought these things to life. And part of it, by the way, is we went and looked at it and in real time, you're like, hmm, I didn't really see the transi transition because you're looking at it like week after week, the same way you would look at home. But when we film it week to week on camera and you watch a transition and you're like, oh my, I was happy with that. And now I get that for 10.99 for like three months supply. That's my boggling. And it's easy to use. But one of many. Yeah. You know? I think I use this topic as a discussion point because I don't think that, unless you're an advanced hobbyist, I don't think that you really understand why you're putting something in the tank. Yeah. You know, and the label is good. I mean, that <laughs> that's bad. the whole, yeah, that's the whole purpose, right? I mean, color your corals with big, bold letters. Mm -hmm. It's just too vague. Well, that's the ones like I, I always think like, hey man, look for the ones that say they're actually gonna do something. It's not, you know, uh, Coral Booster Deluxe. It's brings out the green and then use it. And then if it brings out the green, great. If it doesn't, stop using it, you know? It has to have some kind of effect. It's not just a feel good thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know anybody that's using a pH booster with long-term success? No. So here, here's the problem with pH for me. Like, everybody in this hobby has always said you could have be anywhere between 7.8 and 8.3, mm -hmm. right? Kind of true. Uh, but it kind of like says this, this is like a safe zone or something. And what it is is won't die in this zone, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure that that's the standard, right? Okay, what I would later find out, and this isn't like, unique to our corals or our tanks. Man, this is like scientific literature on everything we know about the ocean. Like this is undeniable. We've actually done experiments on it to make sure that we know that like, you've seen the investigates on it. You've seen the results in person. Like we can just stop the argument. The tanks that are at 8.3 just grow way faster, are way healthier, way less brittle, end of story. The problem is, is it's like 
presented in the wrong way. It's, you know, hey, at seven point, uh, or at, if I raise it from 7.8 to 8.3, I'll get 50% more growth and I'll have a bunch of benefits. That's wrong. It's not true. What's happening is 7.3 or, or is the natural level, you know, that the ocean would be at, you know, 8.2, 8.3. When I lower it to 7.8, well, I hurt the animal's biology. I harm it in a way that it grows half as fast. It has higher mortalities. Its skeleton is brittle and breaks. I'm harming the animal by having it down that low. It is not the inverse because the inverse is the standard of where the ocean's at. Okay, so in theory, I struggled with this really hard in the series. So I like go and put on you know all this like CO2 scrubbing media and all this other stuff and all of these tanks, and you'll notice I didn't, you know, and I know that it will work because I've used it. You know, I've used the, the scrubbing media. I've even explored using it recirculating so you can save on some of the, the money on it. But it's just another thing that really, really, really can go wrong yep. and constantly changes, you know? And so I have to acknowledge somehow that like, this is a major, major thing. It's probably the, one of the biggest things that will change your tank. In fact, if you, if you look at all the people that uh, use Kelkwasser, there's one thing you'll see about their tank they grow way more coralline algae, mm -hmm. universally. Uh, and it's not because calcium hydroxide is a miracle because it just creates calcium and carbonate in the tank. It's because it raises the pH of the tank. That is why. Uh, and so if you want to know how to grow those things, it's just so simple. You know? Yeah, calc is the answer. Calc is the answer. If, it, if you have room for a big giant drum they want to fill all the time, uh, it's the answer. Like, it's messy, it's gross, kind of sucks, but it's, it is that good. People ask, why, hey, you know Coke Washer is the best. Why do you not put it on these tanks? It's because I don't want to have a 10-gallon thing of it sitting next to the tank, and almost nobody else does either. And no matter how much I talk about how great it is, none of you guys are going to use it anyway. So, or very few people, right? And we've, we've tried. I've tried to like sing the praises of this, but it's almost like uh, fluorescent tubes for some reason. Uh, like People just don't want to use it. It is magic. It really is. <laughs> no joke. So we, we even... We even go as far as to put more Kalkwasser in a, in a system than it's capable of supporting in a day, you know, and, and we almost always do it in a system where we take a lot of water out, but we find they're the most robust. The corals have less likelihood of spontaneously kicking the bucket. You know, the coralline, to your point, is just so rigid thick. And, and you can, I mean, it, there's studies done about um, settling larval form the chances of a larval form coral landing and surviving is like 80% higher on coralline algae. It is mind-bogglingly better. But at the same time, do we would dump coralline booster in there, use all kinds of CO2 scrubbing media, you know, buy more gadgets, buy a reactor, reconfigure it to be recirculating. Maybe I need two skimmers now, one for this, one for the other thing. And we chased that at like a, a equipment junkie element. And in the end, like, I just don't think it's beneficial. So think about Kelkwasser. Uh, think about using the refugium. To me, this is like, I don't really want to set up a tank without a refugium at this point. Like, I just, it's, it's the way that I don't have to worry about the filter sock. It's the way I don't have to worry about the, uh, the uh, filter uh, roller. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, there's a ball of algae growing in the bottom, man, and it just sucks up all the part that I don't want. I want all the organics for the animal. 
I just don't want all the pollution and nitrate and phosphate from the, uh, from the end point of that. And the algae will just suck it up in the catamorpha. It's so easy. It's a light. And for what it's worth, we haven't released the data yet on it, but we've redone uh, our, our experiments on it. And absolutely a full spectrum light, uh, like we use the Kessel Tuna Sun now instead of the Refugium one, works way better. Now, it's not that the Refugium one didn't work, because it certainly worked better than all the other things we tested in the last experiment. But what we didn't test was the Refugium one against the Coral Sun one. And well, I don't know why, uh, necessarily, because it would think on paper it only really needs the blue and red spectrum. Isn't the case. You know? So for us, using the Refugium is a way to grade or lower or increase the pH, because at night now, the pH doesn't fall. And so it starts off at the beginning of the day where we need it. Another one is using a two-part that raises it. Now, the most common thing is like some form of soda ash. Whether it says soda ash on it or not, you know, it's probably what's in there for raising it. What I don't know why hasn't ever materialized is, have you ever thought of the sodium hydroxide versions? Mm -mm. Okay, so this is one of the new DIY, well, not new, it's been around for a few years, but the DIY versions of sodium hydroxide, which is lye, by the way, um, you know, it's, it'll burn you, you know? Uh, it is bad, but calcium hydroxide and sodium hydroxide. If you use these things, you'll get the exact same benefit of uh, calcium hydroxide, but instead of having that big, you know, 10-gallon drum next to your tank, you have your normal little one-gallon thing of, uh, of two-part. Now, the problem is, like, people have asked us at, at BRS to sell sodium hydroxide, specifically, like, high-purity stuff, uh, you know, to you that's suitable for an aquarium. Sure, but I, I see kids in the audience here. I see people that are not trained in a lab that are, uh, no matter what I do, are not going to wear goggles when they do this. Uh, and I don't, like, I, just to be blunt, don't need money bad enough to know that I've made somebody go blind, you know. Mm -hmm just through bad or, or harm their pets or the stuff's gonna spill on the floor and a dog could walk through it, you know? Now, that said, what if somebody made, you know, a two-part that, you know, was already pre-mixed in a jug, you know, had a little fancy cap on it that doesn't even really open and you just put your little tube on it? Would you buy that? Knowing it was the same benefit as Kelkwasser, but I don't have to have that big giant jug. That's the value. Yeah, I'd use it. I'd buy it. Now, I don't know if I'd ever make it because it sounds dangerous. It sounds like a lawsuit to me. Uh, but like at the same time as a reefer, if you were willing to do all the work and mix it up, man, I want all the benefits uh, of that. Now I'm solving it without, you know, all the like, you know, what is it, the boosters and, you know, magic elixirs and media and more equipment. I'm using the same thing I was using before. It's just like different. It's a lot more scalable. When yeah. you do it on a small tank and it's scalable downward. Okay, I've put this in like, like I don't know, probably six of these talks, praying that one of the manufacturers out there hears what I'm saying <laughs> and makes it because, yes, I'll promote the hell out of it. Uh, I'll use it myself. Make it. Uh, all right, the next one here is doing it dirty. Foods. Pick a variety that isn't filthy and stick to it. Every service client has over 30 different foods underneath their, client, or their cabinet. Who has 30 foods underneath their cabinet? Somebody's yes. got to. <laughs> There's a real tentative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 30 different foods in the cabinet. They all work. Some better than others, uh, but a pretty label doesn't make it any better. Mm. So what food should you have? Well, it, the goal for us, or anybody that we're trying to coach into being successful, is feed as much as you can without polluting your tank. 
And I mean, that's always the go-to. If you, if you plan on feeding a ton of food, then you want to make sure it's what? Low in phosphorus mm -hmm. and nitrogen, right? Excess. Well, excess. We're all going to have some excess. in there, but it shouldn't have excess. But the, the, the point to be made is you don't want to grow algae. You don't want to go through that whole rigmarole because you're feeding a good food, right? Um, so I had an, like an experience that like changed the way that I think about food. Right? And I don't think you should go out and buy 30 different foods for 30 different fish. Like every single one of these fish doesn't need like its own little food that you're trying to like do and have 30 different things no. on it. But you should think a little bit about like, what are the animals are gonna put in here and what does it eat? And I'm like, I don't have to match its like diet perfectly to the ocean, but I should think about like the composition of the food, right? So for instance, uh, I keep saying this over and over again, but like the Moorish idol that's in my tank, like, you know, Elliot sent this to me and I, I like, email or texted him right back and was like, why did you send this to me? I don't want to publicly kill this. You know, like, because everything has told to me that the Morris Idol is not only high likely going to die, but it's almost like one of those fish is so much, so likely to die that it isn't even ethically, you know, responsible to take out of the ocean, right? You know what he says to me? He says, dude, all you gotta do is get a healthy one and treat it right and make sure it's feeding right from the beginning and then make sure it eats a lot of high fibrous, high carbohydrate diet. And that's it. Because what will happen is it'll get constipated from high protein diet and it'll die. That's it. Okay, you know what I'd find out later? I've said this a few times, like uh, I wouldn't treat a rabbit and a cat the same. I wouldn't feed it the same thing because even though they're both small little furry animals. So I went and Googled it the other day, like what happens if you feed a uh, rabbit high protein diet? Uh, and doesn't eat grass all day like it's supposed to, which is a high carbohydrate, a high fiber diet. I'd love to see your search history. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> I, I dive into the craziest things. Okay, and so the answer to that question is it gets constipated and it dies. Its body isn't, it's designed to have high fiber, high carbohydrate diet. And it's designed to have that grass just like constantly moving this high, high carbohydrate diet through its body. And if you go ahead and feed it only meat, it will survive for a period of time until it doesn't. But in our reef tanks, you're like, oh, I did it this way, it was fine, it will live for a year. It wasn't me that killed it. That's because malnutrition, man, is a slow, painful death. Yeah. And you don't really know where it's gonna happen, man. And so then, what happens to a cat if you feed it only carbohydrates, by the way? Found this one out too, Google search. I would it. not know that. Okay, it gets diabetes and it dies because it's not used to having uh, that level of carbohydrate and sugar intake into its diet, right? Again, will it kick the bucket tomorrow because it was so toxic and so poisonous that we killed the cat like, immediately? No, they'll develop diabetes over the course of the next couple of years and die, right? And so when we're feeding our fish, like, dude, I can look at a tang and know what it eats. It eats algae all day long. It eats a high fiber, high carbohydrate diet. That is all this thing eats. I can look at a Moorish idol. It eats, or eats algae and it eats sponges. It's all this thing eats. I can look at a anthea. Antheas, they all just die, right? Not true. I have three of the purple queens in my tank. I have 13 of uh, those uh, uh, Avanci antheas that everybody told me were gonna die. They're all there, man, like almost a year later. I feed the hell out of them. But you know what you see when you see them? Uh, uh, Joe from, from Unique said this. Mm -hmm. You go watch them in the ocean, and they look like this, eating everything in sight, food. 
not food, spit it out. Food, 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 not food, spit it out. They're, all they're doing all day long is eating these little things. Like you're just watching them, they're just doing it all. And then at home we're told, yeah, you know, fish only eat once a day. Yeah, that's all you gotta do. That's crazy town, you know? Like, it's so clearly not true. And we haven't thought about this animal. And if only we did, we'd keep it alive. Okay, so now do you need 30 of them down there? No. no not at all. Uh, can, I, can I stop the tang from eating the mysis shrimp? No. Mm. But could I put you know, those little algae extreme pellets you know, on an auto feeder that dumps these things every like, you know, four times a day, a small amount, so it's you know, flushing the uh, uh, protein down with the fiber that it's used to as well as eating it off the, off the rocks? Absolutely, you can do that. You know, super easy we find, to do. We find a lot of times it's easier to use a, a frozen or refrigerated food because of the, the expedited pace of decomposition. Mm. You know, the you know, when you're you're using flakes or pellets, there's good pellets out there, don't get me wrong. I've yet to really find a good flake, but um, the frozen and the refrigerated foods, they just don't really mess things up. So if I could, I would actually feed that frozen Kalanis to the to the Antheus. That I would do it, you know, every two hours if I had somebody that was willing to do that for me. But in my case, uh, we're at a business that isn't there on the weekends, isn't there on holidays. That's that's a hundred days a year. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's not feasible. These are just going to die. Yep. So I need to put on a solution that's going to feed them, you know, frequently in the way that they need to be fed. And so the Antheas are also in an auto feeder from uh, like uh, the TDO pellets, but the little teeny ones, mm -hmm. you know? And the, what Elliot told me to do is actually send the thing to do a rotation and count them. You want one pellet per fish every other hour. Like that's counsel, man, from Oof. the guy that I got the fish from. You know, where's that? Why nobody, why, why can't, when I buy in these animals from say, why, why, why is this after only 20 years has somebody finally told me this? You know, I, I got the animal for you. Just tell me how much to feed it and what I should feed it. It should be like the standard, right? Uh, it should be really easy because the knowledge is out there. It's just not getting dispersed. Yeah. But yeah, so I, for me, the only thing I solve this with is we feed some frozen food. Frozen food also has like almost all water, so it's really hard to overfeed. Yeah. You know, like you don't pollute the tank just out of sheer desire. Uh, but the pellets, using a controlled mount, counting them, doing it intentional. And then if the, the fish are doing fine and I am polluting my tank, well, maybe only 20 pellets, you know, per every other hour. I can reduce the nutrient upload by a third inten intentionally instead of just kind of like trying to figure out how much less. Yeah, because it's easy to overdo it too. Yeah, uh, it is. I, I will tell you, like, as we did this, I like <laughs> the pendulum, right? Okay, so I figured out how to save the antheas. No longer a problem. Like these things, I get them from somebody, they give them to me healthy and then feed them proper and there's no more problem, right? Tanks polluted. <laughs> I mean, nitrate and phosphate, major problem. Uh, we have to put, uh, at that time, I wasn't running the, the, the roller. And, you know, I had this big giant roller on the Royal Exclusive Sump, right? We had taken it off because the nutrients weren't a problem. All of a sudden, they very much were a problem when I'm feeding every other hour pellets, and actually two of them because one of them is algae too. Uh, now nutrients are my problem. I now actually took uh, the skimmer. It uh, wasn't working. I just took it off. Right, so a uh, snail had crawled into the skimmer and destroyed the impeller of my uh, uh, Royal Exclusive Bubble King skimmer, which Ouch. was not happy. I put one of the max specs on there, and to be frank, it's still there. I'm not replacing it because 
that that like recirculating design of the one they have or has like the two I thought the that I thought duo. it was gimmicky. I thought it was like mm -hmm. a equipment gimmicky that they would have two pumps coming out of one of them. But if you close one of them, it now recirculates the whole thing and the other one controls how much water goes through it. And I don't I can't tell you exactly the reason why, but every tank we put it on, it's just super easy to tune. I've you never know? actually used it. I know, it's so common. Mm. I mean, because it, it seemed gimmicky, did it not? Yeah. yeah like, when I first saw so. it, I was like, why would you do that? Why would you want this? Right. Now that I've actually used it, I, this thing is a $600 skimmer that I would use over the $3,000 one that was on there. Wow. Yeah. And in fact, I gave uh, uh, um, Devin from uh, uh, Reef Dudes, asked me uh, about what I, which one I would buy. And I said, I'd probably buy the, uh, uh, the Max Spec, but I'll do you one better. I'll send you for free the, the Royal Exclusive that I'm not using. So you probably see him install that, because who wouldn't use that for free? You know, uh, he's had to buy a new impeller for it. But uh, it worked really well too, but you know, trying to figure out now matching my nutrient output to this new food input. I found the solution to a problem that created another problem. And now the real solution again was the refugium. So I put, I, I now can take the paper off because the refugium is sucking up all of the nitrate, excess nitrate and phosphate, but I'm maintaining all of the organic particles in the water for the coral. This is a pretty good message there though. You're talking about fish. Mm -hmm. Fish being the quote unquote problem. If you have a tank that's primarily coral or focused more on the coral, you almost never have to worry about overdoing it. You know, that's the interesting part. Like, how many of you really, really care about the fish, you know, or over the coral? Wow. It's about half. Like, I gotta tell you, I never cared about the fish at all. It's not like I didn't care about them, but it's the coral that I was here for. You know, the fish were just kind of there, you know, to make it a fish tank, you know? Uh, and I had a yellow tank and I had a, you know, Midas, Blenny, and the normal things you would get, and that was kind of it, right? Then I met Elliot, right? And he just started teaching me about all of these fish, and the more that I learn about it, the more that I care about it, the more I see challenges here, the more I want to solve them, the more I solve them, the more excited I get about it, and the more proud of my tank I become. And so for me, this is like a missing piece of it. I don't know if you guys saw, but we did like a little short the other day on the stripey. Anybody familiar with the stripey? Otherwise known as the Australian stripey. Wow. Turns out it eats Aptasia. Uh, Super cool fish, actually. Doesn't eat uh, uh, SPS coral either, uh, and is nowhere near as ugly as the file fish. Uh, so, but like we learned something about it, and he shares what the diet is, and he shares like what the care of it is, and even some of the things about like what you know medications does it withstand, and we were able to put all that information inside of sixty seconds in a short, you know, and all I could think of is myself is like, what if every fish had one of these, you know, and I desperately I want to do that. Uh, we'll we'll see if we can live up to that bar. But I also think about it from the corals aspect, mm -hmm. you know. I, I, this is a, like a tired analogy, but it's the easiest one for me. It's that Blastomusa. When I first got it, I just assumed it liked light. And I just kept moving it around and putting it in light. And I always struggled with it. And then finally I ran, ran across Dan's video and said, put it in the dark, and it thrives. You know, but if only, like there was a 60 second video that said, put the damn thing in the dark. You know? <laughs> uh, that's, it's a 50 foot down coral that lives on the side, not even on the top. Uh, all right, next one here is uh, over-the-counter dips, doing it dirty, 
gadgets just sales. I feel like they give you a false sense of security. So what do they work on? What's that? What do they work on? What do they work on? It really depends on the coral dip. A lot of times, and you know, we get this a lot in our customer service. People will call in and say, look, I found all this stuff on the frag plug. Put it in my dip. And I always want to say, put that back in your tank. Like all those critters are useful. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is, is the stuff that you don't want in your tank, they're not working on in our findings. I have not found those dips to do much of anything. Uh, like you will definitely see in the bottom of that little jar, like a bristle worm. You'll definitely see some flatworms. You may even see a nudibranch. You may see a whole bunch of different things. But what does it do? Yeah, is it going to get rid of the eggs? Nope. It's not going to really do it. Feel good. I don't think it's a bad idea in many cases because you can actually like at least get rid of the adults and stunt them back for mm -hmm. a minute. You know, they're not like actively getting munched on at the moment. But then there's other dips that seem to be way more practical, like peroxide. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is like, I don't know how to describe it. High risk, you know, because we don't have like a list of coral that it works great with. We don't right. have a bunch of concentrations. We have a bunch of, you know, anecdotal stuff. I've internally done a bunch of things with it. Uh, I got to tell you that we did a test on uh, euphilia. All of them, man, I did, I did full strength for two minutes. I did like, you know, half strength for like five minutes or something. I did like a variety of, dude, tomorrow they look better than they look today. How many times did you say, wow? Yeah, and all the algae's gone, you know, all the stuff. And by the way, we saw under the microscope, the eggs falling off. Mm. Yeah, like so, you know, you, they, we always say you can't do anything about acre and flatworm eggs and stuff like that. Uh, not true. We found the eggs in the water, man, right? Okay, now super, super risky with the SPS because yeah. I'll tell you a story in a second. But like there, this thing is some kind of mix of a freshwater dip and an oxidant. And the oxidant, I've watched it under the microscope, just melts it. The flatworm just melts like before the eye, you know? And also all the algae comes off to the point that in the clownfish harem tank, you know, we were having a problem with bryopsis. This is like pre-fluconazole and stuff. That it was just covering everything. We drain this thing down to the bottom, take the little spray gun of peroxide you can buy at Walgreens, spray it on there, and then fill it back up, and tomorrow is free of uh, uh, bryopsis. It sat on there probably for a minute. You know, I probably took a couple more minutes mm -hmm. to fill it up. But it was just some spray, and it was gone. So this peroxide, like a super effective tool, but you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't generate sales. Because where would you buy it? You buy it at Walgreens, you know, or CVS, you know. So nobody's bottling it. I've actually asked some of the, the manufacturers out there to make a peroxide-based dip. And the response to everybody is like, well, I don't want to make that because it will just look like I'm a shill selling peroxide. And I'm like, 100% you will. You should just own it. Because there are people that will only buy it if there's a picture of a fish on the front, you know. Uh, I may be one. Uh, but like I have a presumption that it's safe for my tank and I'm not like, you know, doing these like, you know, risky things. Like I have a presumption that, you know, if Brightwell made one and, and had peroxide in it, they, they selected a high quality peroxide and they figured out the right concentration or something, you know? Whereas if it's always this DIY thing and really never kind of like gets all the way to the surface, mm -hmm. you know? But it's cheap too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one I thing. Don't do that. I don't <laughs> well, you will always know. 
you know, uh, you will always know. You can go wherever, but but the conversation will be elevated because of its existence. You know, uh, so another one. Who's here ever dipped in antibiotics? Okay, one I saw. Okay, we tested. Uh, 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 like I didn't do any math on this. I just wanted to see. You know, and I wanted to use an antibiotic that's generally available. So we used a, a erythromycin because that's used in like uh, like all kinds of like API cells. It's just readily available to the fish industry. And like I think we took like a pill and put it in a gallon of water, mm -hmm. like, which is like way more than any sane person would use, right? We put it in the uh, the corals and we had a bath, meaning they were sitting in there for 48 hours. And we took them out. Okay, a couple of them. They were not super duper happy. 24 hours, couldn't care less, right? So, like, it wasn't really, you know, harmful to the animal, and I probably was using way, 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 way more than a normal person would right. use. Uh, I've now seen people use the, what they use, and it's a fraction of that. But these antibiotics, man, I'm just hearing over and over and over again, solving all kinds of nutrition, uh, necrosis problems, or you're just rapidly losing tissue, stops it. Right, in a way you could just stand there and uh, stare at, it, you know, and watch your tank just melt before your eyes, or you could use an antibiotic directly in your tank, and you're told, you know, that's only for a dip. You can't put it in your tank because you have this nitrifying bacteria that you're going to wipe out. That makes sense, materially not true, you know. In actual experience, nobody's seeing gigantic uh, uh, ammonia spikes in their tank after this. So, while it makes for good conversation, it isn't actually happening. You guys ever use antibiotics in any of your tanks? Yeah, we use, we have a whole process of bringing corals back from the dead pretty much through ChemiClean. I mm -hmm. mean, as simple as it is, it's literally just ChemiClean. Um, so, yeah, like everybody believes that ChemiClean is some kind of erythromycin. They don't, it says it's not. <laughs> says it's not erythromycin succotent right, or right, whatever right. it is. It doesn't mean it's not a different form. You know, uh, uh, but that's what everybody believes it is. You know, is it some kind of antibiotic? I would assume so. I mean, you know, we have a pretty common belief around the shop that corals don't really just die. I mean, they can get stung. They can, you know, we can treat them poorly and they can react that way, but they die from secondary infection, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it, it's kind of, I, I don't want to say the proof is in the pudding, but you know, you can take your beloved bounce mushroom who's spitting out all its mesenterial filaments and looking like it's getting ready to die and put it in Cipro. And then all of a sudden it sucks those filaments back in and that foot looks like it's gonna grab the tile again. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I, again, I'm, I'm no scientist. I don't know the first thing about that process, but I do genuinely feel like secondary infection is the killer. All right, so here's <clears throat> the, the problem that you'll see. You know, uh, and there's some legitimacy to this problem, but we have to find a way to get to the other side. Is uh, you'll see it even in the comments of this video now that we brought it up. Is uh, antibiotics aren't necessarily good for the world. You know, they're creating these resistant strains of stuff, and you know, you'll see the conversation, and we're you know using it you know willy nilly because we're not doctors, and you know all that kind of stuff as as hobbyists. But here's the reality, man, is uh, if your dog had an infection, you'd take it to the vet and you'd treat it with an antibiotic so that it doesn't die. If you didn't, you're probably not a good pet owner, right? You just let it rot until its arm fell off and died. No, that doesn't make any last sense. And here's the reality of it. Does anybody feel like in this room 
that you own a whole lot of pets called corals and fish and you are the tanks veterinarian? Because whether you think it's true or not, it is. To the best of your ability, you're finding care for these animals because nobody else is. You're researching every day, you're sitting here in this room listening to this, you're watching a video on it, you're trying to figure out how to do this for care for this because I cannot take my coral to the vet. It doesn't, it's not a thing, right? Uh, and so when we do this, we have to learn how to use things. These animals absolutely get infections. We have to solve those infections. Mm -hmm. You see it with, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn a lot more about the uh, uh, Magnifica anemone. Like most of them die unless, uh, upon import, unless they're treated antibiotics upon uh, landing here, in which case they don't. You know, it's like this thing that was expert only it just turned out, man, you had to deal with uh, the problem that it can get an infection in transport. It's just highly likely to do that, and if you do that. And like, so one of the things you'll learn in our series is we may talk about how to do that dip, but to be frank, man, I asked Elliot, Elliot, I know you do fish here, but would you be willing to provide that service to people and just treat, you, you treat all the fish with medications, would you be willing to treat uh, these uh, anemones, you know, for people who want to do this? and just know that it was already done for them in a way that they don't have to be their tank's vet per se and deal with this. He says, absolutely. So hopefully we'll see this. Well, Cipro's readily available. I mean, you can get it straight off of Amazon. Yeah. And we use it for carpet anemones. When they come in and they're not sticky, you put them in Cipro and literally 24 hours later, they're sticky again. It's crazy town. All right, next one here, uh, we're getting close, is, oh, wow, this one's gonna be fun. Okay, all right. Does anybody here think I like apexes? Must be. Come on, everybody yeah, must say this. Like yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, doing it dirty. All the gadgets that are just sales. This fits this conversation perfect. Okay, uh, controllers. You aren't setting up to the ninth degree. It's not with your time. You should do more to turn it on and off your outlets. That kind of stuff that you set it up with some smart home products or a portion of the price to do the same thing. Uh, if it's too hard to program all of the real save your butt features, uh, then find a different option or pay someone to do it that already knows how to do it. But you are not a big fan of controllers. Let's hear it. Well, I think that of the vast majority of people who buy a controller think it's going to save the rear end. And if you don't set it up properly, it does nothing more than hit your bank account. <clears throat> it is a undis uh, undisputable fact that a huge portion of people who buy controllers uh, don't ever set them up. They plug all the stuff in it and then they use the on and off button to turn them on and off and they don't do anything else with it than that. That's why I make mention of the smart home stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have a cell phone with a $3 relay switch and do the same thing. That doesn't mean it doesn't have value, it just means that that's what people are doing with it. Right. You know? uh, but why else would you say it's not of value for you? It's another component to break, um, and, and we talk about this a lot. We're an aquaculture facility. We have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of devices. That's not the same as, as a display of house, at your house. So for us, it's another firmware update to do. It's another component to fix when they break. It's another hour spent to change something because you have to program a new device, whatever. The value in monitoring is, I mean, 
undisputable. That's the truth. But in most practical cases, the, the coral is telling you that already. If you're, if you're paying enough attention. Correct. And you knew what to look for. Correct. So this is the difference. Like, uh, you know, this is one of those things where it's expensive and I happen to really love this thing. They talk about it a lot and they're out now like a sister company to, to you know, BRS. And like, so it's like this conversation for me is really difficult because it feels like you're like trying to hawk, you know, apexes at people. Like go buy this expensive thing and you stand a little stall in your tank. But the reality of it is like, you're all a product of your own environment, including me. You know, like we all find value in the things that you've been through in your life that have solved your problems in the past. And for me, my problem is I'm away from these tanks 100 days a year, like just not there. And very many off of days from, you know, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And then I'm also not there, you know, from five o'clock at night until nine o'clock in the morning, which means nobody's around here six, I think, out of seven hours of the year you know, to care for these tanks. Now, all of you guys can kind of decide where you fit in that, you know, how often you're around the tank, how much of your time is spent sleeping, how much of your time is spent working, how many vacations you go on, do you, you know, travel a lot for whatever reason. But for me, these alarms go off all the time. You know, there's 50 plus tanks there at periods of time, and they go off all the time, and somebody has to go there at midnight and save the tank. And if they didn't, that tank wouldn't be there tomorrow. You know, it's not a giant, huge, uh, you know, 8,000 gallon vat, you know, it's a 60 gallon cube that uh, the heater's stuck on and it won't be here tomorrow if somebody doesn't go save it. And so, like I've said the statement all the time, like, I bet you these things save the tank once a month. Once a month, one tank here doesn't uh, die. That sounds like a lot, but you gotta remember I got 50 of them. You know, so if you had 50 tanks, you know, but here's the problem with it is all of this stuff is you get like lulled into, you know, submission with it. You know, like two years in, like nothing's really broken. The heater's okay, you know, all this stuff. So it must not really be a thing. But this happens to be the about the point where all this stuff starts to break, you know, two to three years in, you know? You don't, you don't think that you guys are comfortable with that safety net? And I'll, and I'll give you an example. You sell those heaters with the, with the temperature controller, right? Mm -hmm. That's a redundancy in itself. The temperature in, controller, what do you mean? To like a thermostat. And its own thermostat, thermostat yes. yeah. And if you run two heaters that are small, producing the same value of heat with a temperature controller. If you, if you were smart enough to figure out the exact wattage that your tank needed to be able to heat the tank only to the point that you need it to and your room never changed more than it was always 70 degrees or year round and never went below or above that and you correctly halved it uh, so that if it got stuck on it would never nuke the tank then the answer is yes but man is that a lot of caveats that nobody knows the truth to you know and so like I think of it this way people say I don't got a controller on my tank that's not true. I have that little heater controller. Otherwise, I'd be plugging in the wall, turning it on and off. Like, I'm a tank's controller now, right? That's not true. It just so happens that I chose the cheapest, crappiest controller to manage the environment in the tank, mm -hmm. being this little $30 heater with a 15 cent thermostat in it, you know, and with no backup. 
No, do you need an Apex or anything like that to get a backup? No. You just go get another hair, another controller right behind it. And in fact, Auto Aqua, I think, sold one. It was it had some flaws to it, but it was literally like just a little brick, you know, almost like a phone charger that you plugged your heater into, and it was automatically set to like 83 degrees. Mm -hmm. And if it ever just turned off, it would, or you're, it went above that, it just turned it off. You know? Use the Ranco once. Okay. Yeah, but it's just simple, man. You could have whatever level of redundancy you want. But like when we think about controllers, you know, my problem with them is the primary pitch on these things has always been be a control freak. Yeah. You know, that was like actually the, you know, mantra to it. And like, it's cool. It's cool that I can walk up and there's a screen up there and it has all the little stuff on it for me and it looks cool. It looks like I blinged out the tank and it's super cool that I can go flip a switch and it literally turns off everything on the tank all at once, you know, 23 different things, and then I can do my maintenance, and then when I'm done, I can flip on the switch and it turns all 23 things back on exactly to the state that I want them to be on. It's cool, totally unnecessary, and it also requires a level of skill set to do all of that. I was gonna say that, you know, some people aren't even willing to put in that time to learn. No, uh, I mean, it's not that hard. You know, but you have to figure out that there's a, well, there's a line. You're like, you just have to figure out that if I want all this stuff to turn on when that switch is in there, I just go ahead and line that says, if switch on, then off. Copy it and paste it to every outlet, it's done. So it's not the function is hard, it's finding that information that was hard. Because once I gave it to you, uh, there's not a single person in here that doesn't know what copy and paste looks like. You know, uh, that's a simple task. But like, you have to know that going into it. But this is the piece for me that, you know, I get an animated about because like the, you said the, the monitoring piece, mm -hmm. no brainer. Is there any single person that cares about their tank that should have some form of monitoring on it? I think everybody should have a better understanding of what's going on. Like, would you want, I say this all the time, like, would you want to know if your temperature was 83 and rising? Would you want to know if your pH was you know, dropping or rising uncontrollably, probably due to some additive? And all this stuff will happen in a long enough timeline. Would you want to know if the tank was leaking onto the floor? Would you want to know all these things? But really, the question isn't that. The question is, would the fish and coral want you to know? You know, if the, the temperature was 83 and rising because your air conditioning stopped working today and it's 100 degrees out like it probably is today here, uh, and all of a sudden the temperature is rising inside of your house, would the fish and coral want you to know about that and how quickly would they like you to know about it? It's pretty high. Now, this is the difference though. Like over at Worldwide Corals, there's people there seven days a week, man, almost every day of the year. What days do you take off? Christmas? I finally have weekends. You. <laughs> but like there, when you have that kind of level of maintenance, and there's also people like, hey, dude, what if you work at home? You know, and this tank is in your office with you all day long or in a space that you spend a lot of time in. Well, the needs of this really goes way, way, way down, you know, because I'm really around the tank almost 24-7. But if I am away from it and sleeping probably three-fourths of the time, and like how would you even know? if the temperature was too high? Well, there's only a couple catastrophic events that are gonna happen, and heater is always gonna be one of them. Heater, chemistry yeah. though, overdosing uh, two parts and stuff, and Kelkwasser. Yeah, uh, yeah, but almost always that's a, that's a, you know, those are luxuries that we're providing for ourselves, right? A dosing pump, for example. Mm -hmm. They don't generally stick on. You know, is it a luxury you know? though? Like, like, 
when I think about two part, you know, you think about a dosing pump that does it every day for your luxury, right? But I gotta tell you, when I was told to do it every day, you know, and I was supposed to like go dump in my 120 milliliters you every single day, I didn't do it, man. There was periods of time. The tank didn't look like it was gonna die either. So I just like didn't do it. And then one day, David Grigger came over to my house and showed me a couple of dosing pumps, showed me how to build the, the two-part thing out. I had it and it was going in controllably every single day on time, every single day. Tank just took off because it was no longer reliant on me or my time to maintain the environment for the tank. Mm -hmm. now, and now the controller, it existed again. This time it was a digital timer. You know, yeah. just turn this time pump on and off. I wasn't doing it by myself or pouring it in. And then once it relieved, it was no longer reliant on me, it was better off. So this is the piece for me that like I wish we could all get past is like this, you know, controller or no controller or whatever debate. And just think about what are my habits? You know, what are the you know, requirements of this tank? You know, does, does it even have, like, is it just a softy tank and it doesn't have a lot of calcium and alkalinity consumption? Doesn't have a lot of risks? You know, am I better off with just a, like a heater? That's a good point. Does it have a lot of risks? Yeah, because there's not that many things that are going to be catastrophic. I mean, dosing, overdosing, it's not that common. Heater sticking on, it's every time. Lights being stuck on when you're not around, it happens a lot. So your number one risk, I'm curious, I'm gonna, like we talk about Kelquas or heat or whatever. Number one risk, your available time. Like, do you actually have time to be able to put into this? And if you don't, should you supplement it? Yeah, that's that practicality thing again. Yeah. So take these conversations and meld it to, you know, your own needs instead of listening to somebody else say, hey, you need that, you don't need that. Like, what benefit does it use? What problem am I trying to solve? Would it solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, then, number 10. Okay, doing it dirty. Yeah, this is more of a recap than anything. Roll up your sleeves. The hobby's not for lazy people. <laughs> a majority of these gadgets will not do things for you. At best, they provide you comfort. If they're going to be successful, you need to understand things better and that it involves intimacy with the process. This doesn't mean it has to be a time sucker difficult. You just have to understand it. I think you're right to recap. Yep, more than anything. All right, thank you all for joining us. Uh, this has been the very first uh, special guest, Josh, live in front of an audience. I uh, appreciate it. We went way over the hour, I imagine. Yeah, dude. We yes. didn't even look. There's a whole other page. There's another whole page. All right, uh, thank you guys for all joining us and uh, everybody that's watching. Thank you.